So what we're going to do is we're going to go to the book of Hebrews. And we're going to talk a little bit about the power, the importance, the vitality of encouragement in the body of Christ, in the church, in this group of people. What it means and what it, what it means to us. In Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to read you a quick verse and then we'll go to Hebrews 3, which is really where we're going to spend more of our time. In Hebrews chapter 10, uh, those of you who were around back when we did the study of Hebrews, you understand that, that he's built up a case for Christ as our high priest. He's built up a, a, a platform that we would know that uh, any time we can come into the presence of God, that we don't have to sacrifice an animal to get there. We don't, have to, we don't have to sprinkle blood on anything. His blood has been sprinkled. He has paved a way. And it says it's a new and living way. It's not just the old way with a, with a new way of going through the old way. It's an absolutely new way to God. And that's through Jesus Christ. Now... He says in verse, because of this, because we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, he says in verse 22, and because we have a great high priest over the house of God, he says, let us draw near, verse 22 of chapter 10, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. What that means is when we draw near to God, our heart is pure, but we have a full assurance that we have the right to be there. Through Jesus Christ. The full assurance of faith means because of His righteousness, I can come in here and I'm not afraid to stand in the presence of God. I'm not afraid to come into His throne because I know I've been made clean by Jesus' blood. I know my high priest has been interceding for me. So I have full assurance of faith as I walk in. You pray with boldness, not because you've earned the right to speak to God that way, but because you're praying in the name of Jesus. And Jesus has earned the right to speak to God in that way. So he says, so here's what we do. We draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, praise God, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast. That means hold on tight, right? That doesn't mean quickly hold on. That means, that means hold tight. What are we holding tight to? The confession of our hope. Without wavering. We're holding on to the confession of our hope. Our hope in Him. Our hope in what He's done. Our hope in His priesthood. Our hope in Him as our sacrifice. We're holding, we're holding fast to our hope. And the confession of that hope without wavering. Not, not worrying about it. Not going back and forth on it. For He who is promised is faithful. So it really is not depending on your faithfulness, but on His faithfulness. He who has promised is faithful. And it says this, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And consider, let us consider means spend some time thinking about it. Let us consider doesn't just mean let us allow. It doesn't just mean this might come up. Let us consider means you may not have thought of this, but start thinking about how am I going to stimulate my, my brothers and my sisters to love and good deeds. Now this could sound like way too much like nagging if you looked at it the wrong way. Right? God's not looking for naggers in the body of Christ who are going to bug people until they do the right thing. No, this is somebody who can say, how am I going to stimulate one another to love and good deeds? One of the first ways you can stimulate somebody is by doing it yourself. 
an example, a godly example, is one of the best things that, the, that we need in the body of Christ. But then, you know, there are, there are different ways. There's prayer, there's encouragement, there's, there's, there's the things that you say and the way you say them to people can go a long way. And it says this in the next verse, verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together. So that means that us getting together on Sundays, on Wednesdays, on whenever else we get together is vital, it's important. So we don't forsake our assembling together. Now assembling seems to have a purpose too, doesn't it? It's not just, it's not just gathered together, it's assembled. You ever see a, a toy that comes and it says some assembly required? You may have all the pieces in the same box, but they are not assembled. But when God calls us, the pieces aren't just in the same room. Everything fits in its place. Everyone fits in their place. We're assembled. We're put together where He wants us to be. And it says, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. You see, it is a habit. It's not a, it's not a belief. It's not a, oh, it's not a convenience thing. It becomes a habit. You know, the minute you start saying, well, it's not that important, the minute it falls in its place in your heart, and you say, well, I could probably get back without it, habits start to form. And he says, some people already have the habit that this isn't important. But he, listen, he says, we don't forsake our assembling together, this is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Now, I grew up, and people use this verse to hit people over the head so they come to church. And, uh, you know, we're supposed to meet together all the more as the day draws near. So we need to have meetings every night. Well, that may not be true. It wouldn't be a bad thing, but we may not need to get together every night. But you see that it's not just the assembling together that we need to do more and more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. It's the encouraging one another. Because you, you, don't ha- you can't... Uh, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to realize that the last few books of the New Testament start to hint that many will fall away. That many will lose their hope. That many, I mean, many will, will let go of their faith. And it's probably not because, uh, it's probably not because they sold their soul to Satan. It's probably because they start. They believe something so strongly, and then something happened that that slowly their faith starts eroding, their hope starts eroding, and they lose all of that. And after a while, they just become disillusioned. They walk away, or they become distracted by other things, or they become led away by something false. It's so important that the encouraging one another, as you see the day draw near, takes place. That that's. That we realize that that's a godly commission to us is to encourage one another. is to build one another up. And here's what he says. As you see the day drawing near. And then, you know, in the next verse, he starts talking about the... Uh, ta- talking to these people as, as, as ones who are having to make a decision, having to come to the point of decision. Because not everybody in Hebrews has come to that decision. This letter was written to, to believers and fakers alike. Some, some books of the Bible are written just to believers. But in Hebrews, we find a group of people that haven't made their choice yet. Some of them have. And some of them are still on the fence whether they can do both things at once. Whether I can still be uh, practicing uh, one, one form of religion and another at the same time. He says you've got to make your choice. Let's go back to Hebrews 3 for a moment. And I want to show you something. Because encouragement is one of those things that we all have our own definition of what that means. 
I've, I've met people that say my gift is encouragement. And some of them I go, absolutely it is. Praise God, this is the most encouraging person. And some people, when they think their gift is encouragement, they just basically say, you should do it to whatever anybody ever says to them. Like no matter what they come up with. I believe God's called me to spread the gospel on the moon. Well, praise God, you can do that. Really? Is that really what they're supposed to be doing? Encouragement does not mean that you're always positively reinforcing everything everybody does. It's not just being a happy person. It is so valuable that when we realize that what encouragement is, is binding someone, is encouraging somebody by the word of the Lord, is that you're reminding them of what God has said. That you're not, you're not letting them just go off and say, well, this is what I feel, but you're reminding them what the word has said, what God has promised. Encouragement has, has a root to it. It has a strength to it. It's not just you're a positive person that, that's, you know, that's going to high five everybody for every idea they ever come up with. It's real. It's giving strength to someone. And that strength comes from, from the Word of the Lord. It's so huge. It's so valuable. And, uh, you know, so this encouragement here in chapter 3, we find out that there is a peril. If, if you have a New American Standard Bible, even the subject heading says the peril of unbelief. That that is the one thing you can't escape with is, is, is unbelief. Jesus said, here's the one sin... <laughs> that'll keep you out of the kingdom. Unbelief. He said that when he said the Holy Spirit came to convict of sin. And he said, what sin? The sin because they don't believe in me. Because you know, you, start, you believe in Jesus, and I mean really believe, not just, not just mentally assent to Him, but really believe, really fix your faith in Him. He starts addressing all these other issues. He starts fixing all these other things. But it starts with a belief in Him. That is the one thing you can't get out of, is you've got to believe. You could do all the best things in the world. You could do the nicest things in the world. You could be the greatest giver the world has ever seen. But if you don't believe, there's no salvation. So he says here, in chapter 3, and we're going to start in, uh, we'll start in verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Now these are the Israelites in the wilderness. It says, As in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me, and saw my works for forty years. So they heard my voice, and they saw my works. For forty years, they saw proof that I was telling the truth. They saw proof that I was who I said I was. But they had hardened their hearts to it. That It doesn't matter if water came out of a rock. It doesn't matter if poison streams became clean streams. It doesn't matter if snake bites got healed by you looking at a pole. All of a sudden they don't believe in that. They just think, well, you did that yesterday, but what can you do today? And they tried him. They tested him. They didn't test him like he says in Malachi. He says in Malachi, prove me. Now in this, prove it. Like, like put my word to the test and know that it will be true. Now they did him in a different way. They tested him, not trusting him. You see, in Malachi, when he says, prove me, he's saying, trust me, and you'll see that it'll happen. That's 
But here, they're not trusting him. They're not even giving him an ounce of trust. They're just, you know, testing him. They're just saying, oh, we'll see what happens before we commit our hearts, before we commit our, our assent, before we, before we throw ourselves behind this, we're going to see what happens. And he says, your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and, and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath... They shall not enter my rest. So they didn't go into the promised land because they were afraid. Now, we've said this many times before in this, in this building, but you know the promised land is called the promised land because it's promised. It wasn't named after Mr. Promised. It, it, it didn't come from a, a magical word that came from some other language. It was the promised land because God said, I will give you this land. I'm not asking you to take it. I'm going to give it to you. Your only job is to just go in and, and just receive it from me. But they, they don't see it as promised. They, see, they get there and they, as you know the story, they get there and they, they send some spies out and two of them come back and say, if God gives it to us, we've got it. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they look like. If God gives us the land, we have it. But then you have ten of them that come back and say, they're too big for us. They're too strong for us. And it's about us, us, us. Too strong for us. Too big for us. We're too small for them. And the focus is all on them and what they can or can't do. But the two spies come back and say, here's what God can do. Because the ten, ten evil spies, when you have unbelief, you are entirely focused on yourself. When you don't believe God, it all falls on you. But when you believe God, you're not the big part of the equation. He's the big part of the equation. I get to say, you know, he said he'd do it, so I'm going to put my trust in him. I'm not, I'm not the determining factor here. It's he is. But they would not trust him. They would not believe him. They became hardened in their heart. And they heard his voice. But they didn't listen to it. They didn't believe it. So he says, you will not enter the promised land. You'll not enter my rest. Now he ties us in with us. He says in verse 12, Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So an unbelieving heart is an evil heart. And an evil heart is an unbelieving heart. In falling away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day. Day after day seems to me like every day, right? Am I reading that right? Every day encourage one another. As long as it is still called today. And you know every day you wake up, you call it today, don't you? It's still called today. So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm unto the end. While it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked Him when they had heard? Indeed, did, all, did not all those who come out of Egypt led by Moses... And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Now tell me, is he talking about just broad, general sin, or is he talking about a very specific sin? He's talking about a specific sin here. He's not talking about they, they started stealing from people. He's not, he's not talking about, you know, they started lying to their parents. The sin he's referring to is very specific. An unbelieving heart. There are other types of sin mentioned in other places in the Bible. But here, 
What he's talking about is unbelief. That is the greatest thing that keeps us from doing anything for God. That keeps us is simply not believing in Him. Not believing what He says. Not believing His Word. And everything else comes from that. And so the problem is, is that they, when He says who sinned, it was not that they started, you know, um, you know, they started watching R-rated movies. It, was, it says, with those who sinned, I mean, they, they just stopped believing. And it says, because they stopped believing... Their bodies fell in the wilderness. Because they stopped believing in Him, they didn't enter the promised land. To whom did He swear that those should not enter His rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of what? Unbelief. Verse 19 says it. They were not able to enter because of unbelief. Did you know the golden calf was not what kept them out of the promised land? It was unbelief. Now the golden calf came from unbelief. Because they couldn't trust a God they couldn't see. And because they couldn't trust the God who, came, who brought them out of Egypt, who brought them out of slavery, they said, well, we better hedge our bets and trust in a God. Moses is still up on that mountain. We don't know if he's ever coming back. Let's make ourselves a God that we can see, feel, touch. That is unbelief. Because really, that God was something they made with their own hands. That's where their trust is in. Our hands. Our work. Our world may not be making golden calves, but they are making the same thing in their hearts. What I make with my hands will get me through. What I do with my ability will be the thing that causes me to to prosper, to triumph, to get through this life, provide for my family. All these things. What I can do it's a determining factor. But here's what, here's what they needed to know and here's what we need to know. It's not what you can do, it's what God can do. And the thing that will keep you from entering His place of promise is unbelief. That is what He's speaking of. Unbelief. Now, what's the cure for unbelief? Well, faith is the opposite of it, isn't it? How do we keep our buddies, how do we keep our brothers and sisters from unbelief? Encourage one another. As long as it is still called today. Day after day, encourage one another. Lest, in other words, it says, if you don't encourage one another, here's what happens. One of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of that sin, of that unbelief. So this tells me that something that might keep my friend, my brother, my sister from falling into the same trap as the Israelites is for me to come along and encourage them. Now we see that encouragement has got to mean more than just being a positive person all the time. Encouragement means more than just liking their statuses on Facebook. Encouragement means more than just patting them on the back and saying you're doing a good job. Encouragement is the thing that stands between somebody falling away and somebody holding fast to the hope. So what you're doing... Here's an interesting thing. New Testament Greek word for encouragement means to you know, call someone beside you. We, we use that word to, to translate instruct, comfort, all of these things. It's closely related to the same word we use for the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, the word they used for encouragement was not always a good thing. You see, you could encourage somebody to do something wrong. There were people that encouraged, the Scripture says, encouraged Absalom to rebel against his father. But in, in the Old Testament, 
In the Hebrew, the word encourage comes from a word which means to bind. To bind together. Now that would, that would strengthen something, to hold, to bind it firm. So if you're talking about a building or something, to, to go and, and tighten everything and make sure it's bound firm, that strengthens it, right? But you've got to have something to bind it to. Did you know that that's the same word that's used when Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God? The same word that we use to encourage one another is the word that he had in his heart. He bound it firm to unbelief. He bound it firm to rebellion. He bound it firm and couldn't be moved. That's when his heart got harder, it got more firmly bound to saying no to God. So the opposite of that is when we encourage one another, we remind each other of what God has said, and we bind ourselves to that truth. And we, we go and we, we see somebody's loose on this. We see somebody, they, they've got a, a loose connection, and they're no longer really believing what they used to believe. And we know this because, guys, we've, we're friends. We hang out with each other. We love each other. And we're able to notice, and you may be able to ignore it for a period of time, but you notice when somebody starts falling back. It's going through the motions, but they no longer believe what they used to believe. Or like they used to believe. Now you can either come and be a jerk about it and just say, you know, I mean, you know what? I don't want to hang out with you anymore. Because, you know, here's a bad influence on me. That, that time may come. But one of the first things you've got to do is notice that there's a loose connection here. Notice that somebody's a little bit wavery. Remember it says, without wavering, we're holding fast. So we're supposed to hold fast without wavering, right? That's our job. But you know somebody could come along and see that you're starting to waver? And you could say, not my problem. Or you could say, we're all in this together. And say, let's tighten this up. Well, how do you tighten that up? How do you encourage them? You remind them the word of the Lord. You speak the word of the Lord in their life. You remind them what God has said. You don't have to be better than them. You don't have to, you don't have to be more their superior. You just have to be an encourager. You don't have to come to them like you've got their, the answer for their very life. You just need to come to them and speak the word of the Lord to their life. Because you may think, well, they know that. They've heard that. They've heard it a million times. They know that. But you know the Word of the Lord is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. On Thursday, I came... I, a Thursday, well, I started to feel something come in. And Friday, I, uh, I, I was directly battling the flu. Last day in Spokane. And we are supposed to spend it with Tia's family. And I was, I was fighting this thing. And... Um, you know, I, I wasn't. I was. I had my Bible out, and I was. I was not just not settling down. I wasn't settling for this, and I got better. But on on Saturday, I still was fighting some things. I still had cold symptoms. I didn't feel well. And when you got a fly, and you're not feeling well, oh, it's not fun. And you're trying not to breathe on anybody. And I mean, it's just not fun. And so I, I'm like, you know, I'm speaking the word. I'm doing all this right. And I get on the plane, and I put my when, they, when you finally get to a certain level, you can get your electronics out. And I put my iPod on, and I listened to Tony Miller speak the word of the Lord about healing. As a whole CD, I don't know if you have this or not, many of you do, where he's just, he's just speaking the word. Boom, 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 boom. There's some music. Boom, 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 boom. And, and he just starts preaching the word. He's just speaking the word. He's not really expanding on it. He's just, he's just saying, here's what the word says. And it was funny because stuff that I'd known since I was two 
came at me like I'd never heard it before. And I started to feel better right on that flight. Just as I was listening, the Word was doing what the Word does. That's the Word of God coming to you. I mean, if you came and you saw Jesus, and say you saw Him at the beginning of His ministry, and you had a disease, and you came to Him, and He spoke the Word, be healed to you, and you went away and you were healed. Then three years later, last week of His life, you, you, you've got a new disease, you've got a new issue. Do you think it's any less powerful for Him to say the same word He said to you before? No, you come to Him and you say, Jesus, say it again. You know, and He does. Well, the Word of God is His voice. It is His Word. You don't need a prophecy, you just need this. Often that's why prophecy does speak to us something we already know. I love what, what Brother David McGrew said one time in a minister's conference in Texarkana. He said, he said you know... He said, I, he, he was checking in his journal and he was seeing the times that God had said things to him. And uh, something God had said, you know, two, three years ago. And he said, you know, you've said that before. This is not a new thing. And, and he heard the voice of the Lord come to him and say, I, I, I said these things to you. I prophesied these things to you because you don't believe them like you think you believe them. And he said, anytime God speaks a word to us through prophecy, through all of these things, it's because we don't believe them like we need to believe them. You notice that God doesn't come to you and say, thus says the Lord, you're a boy, not a girl. You already know that. You believe that. When God really speaks to you, and I'm I'm not talking about just somebody trying to, to prophesy to you, I'm talking about when He really does. It may be something you've already heard, but you've got to ask yourself, why is He telling me again? Because I know this, I've heard this. Well, it may be that you're not believing it like you think you believe it. That you need somebody again to come and and remind you and quicken something in you. In the same way, this is what we can do for one another. You say, they know that scripture better than me. They taught me that scripture. You come out and you say it anyway. You remind them anyway because it's not your word, it's the word of the Lord. That's why encouragement can't be just your words. Can't be just your opinion. Can't be just your happy good news, you know, this is what I say. Because that won't change anybody. To really encourage someone, you have got to bring the Word of God. That's where the encouragement comes. That's where the real strength comes from. It doesn't come from you just saying, you know what, I really like you. You're a really nice guy. Now maybe somebody needs to hear that. Maybe God tells you to tell somebody that. I acknowledge that. But it's got to be tied into something else. Because being a nice guy is not going to set the captives free. Being a nice guy is not going to overcome the enemy. At some point, being a man or woman of God who Jesus has filled, who's filled with the Spirit of God, who's anointed and called by God, that's something bigger. Now, I realize that sometimes God uses us to say to somebody, you know what? Say, say to, say, I mean, may use one of you ladies to say to another lady, you look nice today. And that could be a word of the Lord that they needed to hear. But that's only the starting level, guys. Because really, that's still a fleshly thing. What they really need to hear. They may start with, you look nice. Maybe no one's ever told them that. Maybe they needed to hear that. Maybe that's God's message to them for that day. But at some point, it's going to go past that. It can't be every day you look nice today. There's got to be another level because beauty fades. Looks are deceitful. And Satan's not running from you because you look nice. I mean, at least I think he's not. 
It may be the opposite. He may be running from you because you don't look nice. I don't know. Nah. He's not affected by how you look. What's really going to set the captives free, what's really going to ignite revival, is not how well you look, is not how well you speak, but what God has said and what God's doing in you. So what's going to encourage somebody, may, it may start out with, that may be the key that God uses to unlock their heart. You look nice today. And maybe you needed to hear that from somebody. Maybe that was just what you needed to hear. But it will always go past that if we're hearing from the Lord. It may not go past that in the same conversation, but every day it's got to be something more than you look nice. It's got to be past that. You know who you are. You know who you are in Christ. You know, you know what I see when I see you? And you don't just start saying all the nice things and flattering them. You speak by the Word of the Lord. I've had people that came. I've had ministers come. And these were men that, I, that their, their word to me was not as trusted as other words. And so I, I love them. I acknowledge them. But, you know, alright, I'm going <laughs> to be careful here. And a couple of them, you know, they come and you can tell when somebody's prophesying to you from the Word of the Lord and when somebody's just trying to flatter you so that you like them. Now I realize, come on guys, let's not, let's not be overly critical here. But, you know, when somebody comes to you and they just start naming all the nice things they can think of that God wants to do for you, and none of it's matching up. It's just like a wish list for somebody. Then you start to think, okay, why are you saying all this stuff? Because you're trying to get in good with me. You're trying to, you know, you're trying to flatter. You're trying to make me feel good. You know, I, I don't need that. I need to hear for the, what God is saying. I don't need to hear. Uh, you know, and maybe God, what God says sounds really good. Sometimes God says really good things to us, doesn't He? A lot of times He does, but you'll know when it's the Word of the Lord. And something in your spirit quickens to it. It's not just flattery, it's encouragement. Because it comes from Him. And that's what I'm getting at. It's coming from Him. It's not just merely, well, these are all the nice things I can think of. It's really based on something. Because the problem is, with people, is not that they uh, necessarily uh, don't feel pretty. It's not that they don't feel uh, as much of a man as they should. Maybe that's something God will work on them. Maybe they don't. Maybe God will need to work on them. But, but the bigger root of the issue is that uh, there's something lacking in their faith in God. Any issue of self-esteem is somebody that's still looking at themselves all the time. Pride and low self-esteem are basically the same thing. Isn't that weird? It's basically the same thing. It's that you're looking in the mirror and you're seeing you. You're thinking about you all the time. But when you begin to think about who God is and who Christ is in me, you don't have low self-esteem anymore. Because you're not judging yourself after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So here's the, the, the solution to someone hardening their hearts by unbelief. is to encourage them. It's to come by them and remind them what the Lord has said. To remind them what God has done. To remind them what He will do. If we were to go back to Deuteronomy, would you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 3 with me? And I want to show you something in the Scripture. Because not, not all the Israelites went into the Promised Land. Only two of the original crew went in. Joshua and Caleb went in. They were only two that came out of Egypt that went into the Promised Land. The rest were the kids that hadn't been tarnished by a slave's attitude, a, a, 
hadn't been tarnished by uh, not trusting God. They grew up. Now, now, they still had their mistakes, but they were able to go into the promised land. But Joshua and Caleb, as you know, went in. And they were the two that went in and believed God. Deuteronomy chapter 3. Now, the book of Deuteronomy... If I were to ask you, what is the book of Deuteronomy about? There'd be a lot of ums. I know it's the Israelites and Moses. What, what is it about? You know, most of this book consists... It start, here's how the book starts. Can I just tell you how it starts? You know this. Some of you are going to go, I read the book. I know what it is. The book starts with the realization... That Moses is not going into the promised land. So pretty much the whole book is speeches he's given to the people that will. Pretty much the whole book is him preparing the people to go in. And the, the, biggest, the biggest thing he's telling them is, this is, if you obey the Lord, here's what you'll have. If you disobey, that's what you'll have. He says, I mean, if you trust him, you put all your hope in him. But part of it is what God told him to do to Joshua. You see, uh, when Moses realized he wasn't going into the promised land, he said to the Lord, Lord, give me a successor then that will lead the people in. And God says, he opened his eyes to Joshua and said, Joshua's your man. Joshua's been serving you since he was a boy. He's been going in the tent with you. He's been going up the mountain with you. He's your man. So he says, go and lay your hands on Joshua. Commission him. Put, do it in front of the people so the people see it. He's going to lead them in. So he did. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 3, And we're going to go to verse 27. This is the word of the Lord to Moses. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes to the west and the north and the south and the east and see it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. So God is saying to Moses, I'm going to let you see it, but you can't go there. Why? Because Moses had done the same thing he'd had unbelief. And it all went back to, there was various things to him hitting the rock several times because God told him to hit it once. Do you know when God tells us to hit something once, it takes a lot of trust to stand there when nothing's happening. Right? To just stand there and let it happen. So what do we want to do? We start walking in the flesh and thinking that hitting it more times is doing more good. God says, speak the word. God says, here's what I want you to tell the people. And that's all He tells you? You just stop there. There may be awkward silence as everyone stares at you. And what you want to do in the flesh is like, okay, kick it in. All right, tell some stories. Make them laugh, you know. Stir them up. All right, all right, all right. You know, and you're just walking in the flesh. It's not believing that the Word of God is powerful enough. So He told them. Well, actually, God didn't even tell them to strike it. I'm sorry. God told them to speak to the rock. Say to the rock. Yeah. Moses is like, uh, I probably should do something else though. <laughs> like hitting, it's going to work. <laughs> right. Like somehow, speaking to the rock is way out. But hitting to a rock and water come out, that's less logical. That's science. <laughs> Anyways, there's some things that kept him from going in. That's not what we're talking about tonight. But he says, I'm going to let you see it, but you're not going to go in. Verse 28. But charge Joshua, and encourage him, and strengthen him. For he will go across at the head of this people, and he shall give them as an inheritance the land which you will see. 
So we remained in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Do you hear what God is saying to him? He says, listen, you're not going in, but in order for Joshua to go in, you're going to need to come to him, encourage him, and strengthen him so that he can lead these people in. Now how does he do that? Could somebody tell me Joshua 1? What is, what's the big thing that God says to Joshua after Moses is dead? God says to Joshua several times, what are the words he said? Be strong and very courageous, for I will be with you, right? The Lord is with you. Everywhere you go, He's with you. Those were the first words that God really commissioned Joshua with. Be strong and courageous. Now He says other things, but He repeats Himself several times. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Right? Those are the words. Now look, if we were to go further on to Deuteronomy chapter 30, Uh, Sorry, Deuteronomy 31. In Deuteronomy 31, we see Moses speaking his last counsel to Israel and Moses speaking his last counsel to Joshua. When he speaks to Israel, this is what he says. See if it sounds familiar to you. Verse 1 of chapter 31. So Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to come to Come and go. And the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross this Jordan. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. And as the Lord will do to them, just as He did to Sihon and Og, and the kings of the Amorites into their land, when He destroyed them, and the Lord will deliver them up before you, and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. That seems familiar, doesn't it? He will not fail you or forsake you. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this land, people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. And the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now it is no coincidence in my mind that what Moses says to Joshua are the exact same words that God says to Joshua. That's the way it's supposed to be. God told him back in Deuteronomy 3, you encourage Joshua. So Moses doesn't come up and go, Oh, Joshua, look at your arms. Look how strong they are. You've always been a good leader. I've noticed that everybody likes to follow you, Joshua. And you know, that's probably one of your best qualities. You're a leader. Do you know why I know that? I've watched you, Joshua. And look, you know, you've got a strong voice and you've got smart words. You know, he doesn't say all that to him. One of the things that he does, God tells him after a victory over the Amalekites, He says, now, recite these words. And it literally in the Hebrew, put these words in the ears of Joshua, what God did at this battle. So Moses says to Joshua, here's what God did. Then Moses comes along. God says, encourage and strengthen Joshua. So Moses doesn't go, how am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? What does Joshua need to hear? What does he want to hear? I'll tell him he's a mighty warrior. Yeah, he's a mighty warrior. You're a mighty warrior, Joshua. You're the strongest guy I've ever seen. You know, Joshua, 
Man, I bet you could take 10 people at one time on the battlefield. He doesn't tell any of that, does he? He says, Joshua, be strong and be very courageous. Now listen, when God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous, this is the God who said, light be. It's not advice. It's not just a builds you up little statement. When God gives these words, when He says to Joshua, be strong, Joshua is strong. When He says, be courageous, He has the ability to be courageous where He didn't before. And when Moses spoke by the word of the Lord, Joshua, be strong and be courageous. Strength and courage entered Joshua through those words. Not just a, I want to remind you to be strong. I need you to think about being courageous. But now, take strength and take courage. Take heart, Joshua. And when he said that, strength and courage. Remember what God said to Moses? He said, he says, encourage and strengthen him. You go, how do I strengthen him? How am I supposed to strengthen him? My, his strength doesn't come from me. But his strength comes from the Lord. So the best thing you can do is speak the word of the Lord to him. And the word of the Lord will enter him. And just when God said, light be, light was, then when I say, be strong, you're going to be strong. And when I say, be courageous, courage is going to rise up inside of you. And he says the exact same words that God said, even before God said them to Joshua. Because he had heard the word of the Lord for Joshua. And he reminded him, it's not you. It's the Lord. He will go with you. He will never forsake you. He will go before you. So don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. The church needs courage. Take heart. Take courage. Be strong. And you know, it's not going to be your nice little notes that came out of your brain, but it's going to be the word of the Lord that's going to strengthen someone. And there's nothing wrong with a compliment. Thank God for compliments. But that's not enough. That's just like me telling you, listen, you've got to understand, some of you are going, oh, I shouldn't compliment people anymore. I should only speak scriptures to them. Listen, you know what? Your clothes aren't getting you to heaven, are they? But I don't tell you don't wear clothes. Right? So, you know, just because something's not the most important thing doesn't mean you do without it. I mean, compliments are good. But they're not enough. We don't stop at a compliment. What's really going to set somebody free is the word of the Lord. And it could be the difference. Now listen, I, I believe the Bible is, is the word of God. I believe that everything is there for a purpose. I don't believe that he says anything off the cuff. So in Hebrews 3 when he says, he talks about these people being hardened and falling away. And he says, encourage, therefore encourage one another. And then he says, so that no one falls away. I really do believe it has an effect on the church whether we're encouraging one another. That's going to be that you remind one another what God has said. What has God said to you? What has God said in His Word? What has God said about this church? What has God said about your family? What has God said about your health? What has God said about your life? What has God said about your mission? What has God said about the call in your life? What has God said about the anointing on your life? What has God said about your purpose here? But all of that's going to come back at some point. 
And many people here might think, you know what, I am surrounded by people who've been saved longer than me. I am surrounded by people who should, should be teaching me. Who am I to say anything to them? Okay, okay. So don't come up with your own message. Just speak the word to them. Just speak the word. Do you know any of you are qualified to speak the word? Any of you? You know, I mean, I, I can't tell you. There's been several times where I've been tempted to fall into a temporary 30-second worry fest. That's gets smaller throughout my life, and it's down to 30 seconds, maybe a bit more. When you start getting stressed about something, and God sends an encourager. And my wife is one of those people. She doesn't tell me, you know what, Jonathan? And sometimes here's what your flesh wants. Your flesh does want a fleshly compliment. Your flesh does want somebody to talk about how cool you are and how great you are and how handsome you are, especially if it's your wife. But you know what? My wife seems to come up with the perfect scriptures at the perfect time. And they're scriptures that she knows I know. She's not saying, well, I bet he's heard this. So I can't say it. She'll come up and she'll encourage me say, well, look, this is what the Lord said. Have you given She always says this. Have you really given it to the Lord? Like, you know? <laughs> That's what I need to hear, right, Tia? <laughs> it's the word of the Lord for me. Even though I've heard it, the word is living. It's active. So you can hear it a million times and it still speaks to you and cuts like it's brand new. So God sends people, and, and I mean, like He's used my wife very, very often to do this. So, I mean, you could say, well, he, he's, he's a pastor. He knows that stuff. You know? But listen, if it's the Word of the Lord, it's going gonna, it's gonna to strengthen us. It's going to encourage us. So there may be people in the church. Now listen, there's a way to do it. You don't come across as, as I'm going to teach you something or I'm going to show you something. and Just get the pride out of the way and just, you know, just encourage one another. There's no pride in that. It's just brotherhood, sisterhood, familyhood. That you say, we're one here. Now let me tell you what's going to encourage you today. Here's the word of the Lord. What has God said? Sometimes it starts with the statement, what has God said? There's been, there's been people in my life where they had the answer for me. But instead of just telling me the answer, they made me work for it. And they said, what has God said to you? And I was forced to mine the, the depths of my spirit and say, here's what God said. And they go, okay, do you believe that? I go, oh, yeah, right. I guess I do. Then they remind me of what God has said, what God has said, what God has said. Sometimes you've got to ask that question. What has God said to you? And make somebody think about what God has said to them so that they come to a place where they go, oh, yeah, I remember the Lord said this would turn out for good. The Lord said I'd come through the other side. The Lord said that uh, this is exactly where He's called me, exactly where He's put me. I'm, I'm in the right place. And that's encouragement. And you have strength. You are binding something tight. Remember, what we're bound to, we're holding fast. What we're holding on tight to is our hope. is the confession of our hope that, that He is who He says He is. That He'll do what He said He'd do. And that I can be who He says I am. And when we believe that, We can go along and encourage someone else to say, listen, be strong, be courageous, for the Lord is with you. That's what we need. There may be many that fall away, but they won't be falling away from a group who is encouraging the Lord day 
after day, as long as it's called today. Those are the people that are going to stand. Those are the people you're going to have generations rise up and say, here's what the word of the Lord said. And it may be the same word that their grandfather spoke, but it's just as powerful. And they haven't fallen away from it, and they haven't wavered from it. They've grown in the word. Amen? Would you stand up? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. He's good. He's good. He's good. Thank you, Jesus. You are so good. Oh, thank you for your strength, for your life, for your hope. We put our hope in you. We put our trust in you. We put our faith in you. And we're not going to waver. We're not going to fall. We're not going to go backwards. We are not those that shrink back, but press forward. For your righteous ones will live by faith. Give us the word of encouragement. The word that our brothers and sisters need to hear. May we not fail in it. May we not grow weary or tired of telling them that the Lord is with you. Be strong and courageous. Uh, We're stepping into a place where great people are going to have to do great things. We're stepping into a place where the natural ability will fail us, where reasoning will fail us, where our own understanding will fail us. We have gone to the place where it's not going to be enough for us just to know something. We're going to have to believe it with all of our hearts. Friends, the church has come to a place. We are past the ability to sustain it by natural strength. can press forward and realize that we're at a breaking level where we're at a point of breakthrough and breakout where it's going to require faith. And that faith has to be nourished and strengthened and emboldened. Take heart. Take strength. Take courage. Thank you, Jesus. And be blessed this week. Oh, sere, ma na 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 na